0: Assalamu Alaikum and peace be upon you. Welcome to Pathways to Peace, a show that look, takes an analytical look at issues affecting us all, I'm taking a look at economic peace, political peace, social peace and inner peace. In today's show we'll be looking at food security or maybe even we can call it food insecurity as around the world we're beginning to see a, a crisis in food supply, food chain and people generally going hun- hungry. With me in the studio is my co-presenter, Asif Asif, who will help me t- dissect this topic. And hopefully uh, we can offer some reasonable solution and uh, point a you know, a way a pathway to peace on that. In recently, in Re- the Review of Religions, uh, this is a uh, magazine that is part of uh, our community, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Uh, and you can go on their website, which is www.reviewofreligions.org. They mentioned that well into the 21st century, hunger has continued to be one of the biggest health crises worldwide, with a tendency for it just to become worse. And we're beginning to see that now. Things like COVID and uh, pandemic wars um, and climate change, all these things uh, leading up to a, a crisis that's leading to hunger across the world and affecting probably the most vulnerable in society. A 2019 UN report indicates that this number has been rising in the last three in the last three years. That's from 2019, from uh, 784 million hungry people in 2015, uh, in going up to uh, to 182 million in 2018, and and it's rising. Uh, we're hearing constantly in the news from different sources. There's a possibility of more rises in food prices, and it's a major worry. We've seen countless reports of people who are choosing between heating and eating. Um, so prices are going up, and f- people are eating less uh, because they have to. They have to cut down on what they eat. We've seen difficulties in shipping out food supplies from u- Ukraine as the war has you know hits hard. Uh, supplies of wheat and cooking oil has jumped on uh, international markets uh, and uh, the export ban after a heat wave which hit India, India's wheat crops so they were looking after their domestic uh, affairs first which affected sort of world supplies as well uh, so you know and we've seen obviously over the last few years we've seen many reports of uh, food banks opening up across the country uh, more and more as people are reliant on them as, as they can't afford food and, and this is this is a worrying thing uh, so I said Considering all these factors and this crisis we're having, um, how how bad is it really? I mean, what is, you know, what is the single source? Is there a single source of problem to this, or is this something that can't be helped? Is this something that happens?
1: I think there's always been a food crisis in the background. Um, One of the kind of key challenges has always been around um, a recognition of whether we accept climate change as being one of the key impacts on On our actual level of food, and food development, food production, in the in the globally speaking, and while we kind of address many of those sort of things with this growth of what's called globalization, i.e., one kind of this one village kind of approach towards things, that concept of globalization has also been one of the the key factors to what we have now in in our in our world a problem in regards to. The impending impact that we have, and, and w- I will go on to some of one of those reasons. But it's a multitude of imp- issues that come out of this issue that we're facing now. Um, and but I would like to say just about um, the standard kind of issues that we have always faced around famines, have always been around, uh, and we can say that some of those famines have been driven by uh, changes in our weather conditions, our climate. And I think more and more people will accept climate change as. One of those root causes to to what we have in place. That Let's say that's we do that as one of the, the foundations of the issue that we have uh, facing us, and obviously some of the rest are what you've just mentioned.
0: That's an interesting point, actually, that you you've just made um, regarding famine, because we have seen these kind of famines in the past. It could be famines caused by war, it could be caused by weather. Questions? Yeah, exactly. So you know, there's this. You know, there's always it's always been in the news. We've always heard about it. What's different now? Is it because it's affecting us in the West, or is it because um, it, is it now a worldwide crisis? Whereas before, maybe it was located to a specific country. You know, kind of the idea of you know um, the Ethiopian famine in the eighties kind of springs to mind when you, when you yeah, think of, of these course. things.
1: Well, if the scenario here is is that the the crisis between in the past and now is is different because you could put disasters and famines and pestilence and so forth down to isolated countries at certain or regions even at certain times. And that gave the opportunity for the globe or the world to to look at the situation and step up and react to it um, and support it. Now you have a situation where the impact is across multitude of countries, multitude of continents. That it creates a huge impact. Yes, there are countries that face bigger issues in the short and medium term. But the impact on what looks like it, it's going to be facing a lot more countries over a
0: longer sustained period of time. So um, looking at climate change specifically. Yeah. Um, how I mean, I'm, I'm, and I'm saying that because, you know, we've got heat warnings uh, coming up over the next few days in the UK. Yeah. You know, this is unprecedented. Uh, you know, you know, we're, we're going to hit temperatures of perhaps 40 degrees tomorrow in in certain places. Um, and you know I've never heard of that and certainly I think most people haven't and uh, the government's issued uh, like a a red alert a a, a heat warning and that's come from the Met Office as well isn't it and um, and I was reading recently uh, that should this continue this is gonna affect um, crops even further Uh, and then you know it's only gonna make matters worse and it's gonna be the most vulnerable who get affected you know at the end of the day so um, (coughs) you know it seems like this is this maybe is a man-made problem. Is climate change spef- specifically the problem? Is it, are things only set to get worse? You know, we've dealt with the pandemic and all that. So I think well, one thing that strikes strikes to mind with
1: me in terms of the the issue of climate change is if you could you could look at the number of reports about higher temperatures, not just here we were talking about now, but in recent years in places in like the Middle East, especially around the Iran Iraq area and the Kuwait area, those sort of countries. In the Middle East, which would otherwise be known as the Mesopotamia, the the Babylon's uh, we, we we talk about in the religious context, and those Babylon's are those sort of those uh, fertile landscapes that were existing sort of in the biblical kind of approach to, of, of time. Now, if you think of that concept, what Babylon and that concept is, you expect those places to be fertile land. Fertile with both water and resources. Yes, they do have um, rivers running through them, through them as well. But however, the you know things like the Tigris going through the, those river streams are becoming much more reduced in their their, their uh, availability and the water resources becoming less and less. There are political dimensions to those sort of things. The the challenge around that, for example, that region, it just demonstrates to you how. That the world is changing in terms of the the, the impact of uh, climate change is really down now down to water resources and resources in general. So in those areas where you have uh, higher temperatures in the Middle East, you know there are a, a lack of resources for farming, for example. That puts a strain on the food production in those countries domestically and lo- locally. Right? You then have the issues in this country where we're talking about uh, higher temperatures. One of the challenges over the, the winter periods that we faced was this whole idea, as you mentioned, um, heat or eat as a scenario. Now, that, that idea of com- comparing the eating and the heating aspect is changing to uh, venting and eating because, you know, the, the whole impact of using uh, air conditioning systems, fans and all of the energy those will take up just to keep you cool in, in your either in your car or in your home, whatever... That's going to be an impact on people's bills at the end of the day. So we' we've even though we've gone into the summer, we are still going to be facing the a, a crisis of um, eat versus heat or vent, basically in some respects. So that continues. We haven't taken away the pressure on those um you know people, the people the vulnerable people uh, to actually make a you know choice between those two things. Um, and I think that's where we'll see more of an impact come through as well. You know, the government has also, to be fair, looked at addressing some of those things. with sort of some relief, welfare-based relief, um, come sort of the, the autumn period. But they haven't realised that you know this heatwave will also be impacting people's bills.
0: I mean, bringing that specifically to the UK, actually, um, on your when you're saying uh, and people struggling to you know afford to eat every day as kind of food prices rise. Yeah. A um, uh, research by YouGov, uh, which was done. I believe in 2000 maybe 2019 Maybe going back to 2020 uh, it found that the number of people struggling to buy food at that time had risen by 57 percent in three months uh, nearly 14 percent of survey respondents said they had they had they had or someone in the household had eaten smaller meals or skipped meals because they were not able to afford it during you know that past month at which the um, uh, survey was done um, and so you know th- What's striking is how much this is affecting, for me, is how much this is affecting countries like the UK, which, you know, we were in food surplus for a long time, were we not? And uh, sometimes um, there were countries that were suffering, while countries like the UK and and the richer countries in Europe uh, had a food surplus. So, you know we we're, we're Are we saying that now we're not in that surplus? Is, is, that, is that what's happening? I, are we now saying, is that run out?
1: No, I don't think we're saying that things have run out. I think yeah. we're saying the the cost of, of with, let's put it this way, things have changed in terms of how mm. um, the world's working. We've gone from a situation where the food chain or the food system was based around this concept of stockpiling, so you stockpile yeah. stuff. Now it's more about flows. So, it's about this concept of just-in-time. In other words, you know, our food resources, essentially those ones uh, that we have in this global village, you know, the food resources are effectively at sea. They're actually just going through ports and, and key straits, etc., and and going from one country to the other. You know, some of our food comes from uh, of our flung continents around the world. Mm. Africa provides a lot. And those food sources come so far to travel to the UK that... It's not held as stockpiles, it's held in stores, etc. But also at the same time, there is an issue in the sense that with fuel prices rising and fuel prices rising because of the conflict in, in Russia, you will find a situation where if you notice in stores, what's happening is that there it, the choices are becoming less. So for example, those unique items that you might have or the delicacies are becoming less and less. You'll also start to find Stop reducing, so the last few items sitting at the bottom of a shelf or in a freezer or whatever, you'll find less, more of that happening in stores. you start to find little gaps in in, in shelves, etc. That's not necessarily to say that those items don't exist in in the country. What you might find is that food producers and distributors and, and, and supermarkets are making choices now. They're making choices to say, let's get more of the key stuff into the stores quicker and less but neglect some of the stuff that we previously would have the nice to have elements that slow moving items they would normally have. And that creates a kind of sort of gap in the in the shelves, etc. And then that leads to another kind of idea that we are potentially facing. It's a kind of a false idea that there's less of stuff around. But reality it is, is that those distributors are probably making decisions now mm. but what they put on the shelves mm. what are the key things they put on the shelves so you get more of the key things on the shelves and and you can sort of balance out your cost of fuel etc so those things are happening mm. what we found in the pandemic for example was we had this sort of crisis around toilet roll right yeah. so why did that happen on toilet rolls? was there less toilet rolls in the world no there wasn't what was happening is that toilet roll takes a, a lot of space on the shelves it's the the, the thing that can that will probably be less of importance to distribute. So if there was a, obviously a HTV driver issues, and there was issues around getting stuff there. So stores make a decision about what they stock, and toilet roll isn't as important as food. Hmm. So those gaps in the market create panic. If they see that, that panic starts to happen, and, and stockpiling starts, or hoarding starts to happen, so it has a chain effect on, on what can happen as well. So one of those yeah. things is, is something that can lead to something else.
0: Yeah, I mean, after you're right, I mean, I remember just maybe a year ago, there was um, people saying they're finding that they couldn't get hold of avocados. So that's one of those kind of specific food items, I guess, that you're talking about that would have made a decision. They're not going to stock those. And it was running out. And it was just really strange to hear that, you know, that they can't find these food types. So um, Professor Michael Mormont, Director of the UCL Institute of Health Equity, and this is going back a couple of years at the time of the survey, uh he said that the findings these findings of food insecurity and rising costs and people not eating is, suggest society falling in a fundamental failing sorry in a fundamental way and he said and just to quote that these figures on food insecurity are all the more chilling because the problem is solvable uh f- but far from being solved it is getting worse um and this, this considering he said that a couple of years back and to where we are now he's i think he's been proven right
1: yeah i think so one of the kind of things is that you can look at you know the food chain essentially if you look at food chain in what was um people are currently looking at it in in the form of what's known as complex systems or uh, as such so complex systems is a a technique was originally uh looked at by ecologists etc to see kind of vulnerabilities in, in in an ecosystem they actually applied that same concept to the banking crisis and that that explains some of the issues of vulnerability. So where you have like just a few players, and a few points of, of nodes—they call them nodes, essentially—well, key points of of importance in, in the system. Where there are where there are few of those, where there are, are higher dependencies upon the, on those things, then any kind of shock wave that comes into that sort of system will cause it to collapse and break, right? And and the food system is a bit like that in, in some respects, where. You might find in in the case of wheat, for example, we obviously are saying the issues around sort of the Ukraine Russia side, but in reality, you, you, if you look at it, there's four companies that actually control sort of 90 of the of the global wheat business, right? Not just from source, but also to the point of distribution. So those companies themselves have a lot of say in terms of what the the pricing of those things and the availability of those things are. So you can argue the cases that. Um, when we talk about the solvable issue there are potentially corporate kind of challenges around that to make those things happen
0: yeah I mean because it raises an interesting question actually that just that kind of comes comes into mind now if the problem is solvable because when we talk about food insecurity or the lack of uh, food for whatever reason you know it might be supply chains uh, it might be uh, climate change it might be you know whatever it is that's causing food we're talking about less food coming into the country Um, and then in that way it's and and I've come back to I've I've said this a couple of times and uh, it it, it falls on the most vulnerable what I'm saying is that the richest in society the most the people with the most men they're not going to feel the effects of this are they I disagree actually I'm beginning okay so that's interesting because I'm thinking does it then mean that someone who's got you know, are, are we now? Is it an equalizer? Is it a, you know? Is it now at a point where, even if you've got money, even if you are a billionaire, you're going to be just as hungry as a person? No, I don't
1: think it's a case of being hungry as the person next <laughs> to you. What the, the impact of that? Let's have a look at what the impact of on successful people. Mm. Firstly, they're going to be faced with not just IQ. successful people but countries okay so even successful countries will Mm -hmm. be impacted by this whole thing because Mm -hmm. even their middle class people will be affected by this whole thing and that themselves has a pressure on on their governments etc and it will impact maybe you could argue the case that the uk has had a recent change in government right Uh, or likely have in terms of leadership Beg your pardon yeah um is that change just upon the the individuals or the leaders' um, misdemeanors or, or lack of integrity, it may not be. Maybe mm. it's a that's just a icing on the cake on all the other kind of issues that those that, that the society is facing. And then one yeah. of those challenges is the cost of living, um, and the cost of living has a number of impacts. Um, I know you know there are middle-class people still feel the pain of 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 the fuel bills because some people haven't made those decisions to to have more self-sustaining or more. Um, environmentally friendly kind of approach to to maintaining their home, for example, right? There's yeah. there's people with huge big screens of yeah. TVs, yeah. and you know, big motor car guzzling gas guzzlers, and they, they haven't sort of um, insulated the homes effectively. It's, yeah. You know, and, and they they use up a lot of lights. They think it's all so we've we've built societies around luxury, and that change from going from luxury to ec- being economical in yeah. terms of or efficient yeah. is is a drastic change. It's not it's something you can do overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, an example being at the moment in time is you know right quite rightly there's a lot of people going to to install solar and and solar you think okay this is a perfect solution for the embedding crisis. I mean if yeah. you consider our the the cost of electricity and energy, for example, mm-hmm. if if a, if a rich and affluent person puts in um, their own um, solar systems to actually help self generate electricity, and solar is a very good way of, of looking at the, the solve solving the use of uh, electricity, and, and that system that approach, approach alone is ex- extremely good because on one level, you know, you you even as you're a wealthy person are now saying I'm taking less kilowatts in, in the uh, part yeah. of the energy system okay, which yeah. makes it available for other people so you your demand is reduced because you're generating your own history the challenge around that now even now is that those people are switching it's going to take them six uh, to seven months for a good system to be installed into their homes yeah. and that sounds r- ridiculous and that, that time frame is delayed because of uh, the availability yeah. and the demand and the actual ability to ship across globes now and, and that. Even though the cost is more than it was a, a year ago, yeah. the the challenge there is is that you know people are making some changes along those lines, but even those changes are going to take some time to kick in, and you know, and people are going to have challenges to change from their gas guzzlers, do they? to the yeah. more efficient, you know, cars, electric cars, etc. So those things are going to take some time.
0: And, and I think there's there's another concern there on those things you mentioned, things like electric cars, solar uh, solar panels that kind of thing they're quite expensive to install or to buy yeah okay so again the, the again i'm coming back to yeah. those people who aren't able to afford it and have to rely on the electricity um you know that how's it going to benefit them uh you know uh, you know are we saying that if at least the people who can afford to have uh solar panels in uh, and, and and buy the, these electric cars which are expensive they're not they're not yeah. cheap um then uh, are they making it easier for the rest of society uh, well, or is it just them who are being saved you know and, and, to, and, I, and I keep coming back to that point because uh, my main concern is that uh, the people who have always been affected yeah. by you know uh, that kind of uh, wealth gap uh, are still the same people who are going to now be affected by this food crisis
1: yeah, I, I, that's, and that's, that's, is that where
0: we're failing society that's where we are we are yeah.
1: failing on that level What I, I'm in one respect saying we shouldn't discourage this whole idea of people who are wealthy Mm. to make those efficient and fuel saving changes because indirectly they're they are taking their energy demands out of the system so that you know there is those that energy is less is more more prevalent and less scarce than it is for for, and it is more available for for society that's less likely to afford it hopefully that impacts the reduction in energy bills along the line however you're right that sort of ability for it to kick in is going to drive those into, um, you know, fuel and and food poverty. And those who were middle class and had some savings that could have done it are going to find that they're going to deplete their savings in order to sustain their lifestyle and their um, food and fuel requirements as well.
0: So, you know, is there then a, is there a responsibility by the state to provide that change for people uh, to, to go into uh, to be more um, economic um, sort of environmentally friendly and it's self-sustaining it's right? self-sustaining yeah. yeah you know is there you know do they need to offer subsidies or some kind of uh, discounts to for people to be able to move into you know uh, uh, that uh, electric cars uh, solar panels be able to make the saving you know is, is there responsibility of the state to have those who don't have can't afford it to uh, be able to have it.
1: I would say this as a personal viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, this is my personal view. I definitely think there is a case. I mean, in the period of the the 2010s or so when there was a coalition government and there was a case where um, we had a minister who encouraged subsidies for solar panels and and that, Mm -hmm. that process. Did increase decrease the price of solar panels? Made it much more accessible for people. And there were subsidies that a lot of people started to take up. So the, it was like a first boom of solar energy and solar powers coming into into play um, on the rooftops around around the country. So I generally believe that was a, a bold move, and it had a big impact. And who's to say that we would have had a worse crisis uh, now if those things weren't there in place? So I generally believe those subsidies make a big impact. But at the same time, you know, we can talk about, you know, in Islamic, Islam's approach of when we have a system of zakat, and zakat is a um, mm. process of welfare, right? So it's okay. essentially a core g- concept of welfare. Yeah. And that we do, I mean, only recently has this government made a decision to uh, provide that those benefits of an additional kind of, let's say, essentially a welfare benefit to cover some of this increased cost of of fuel um, and energy costs. So, there's an action being taken there. So in, Islam has always promoted this idea that you use welfare to alleviate uh, this issue of poverty. And we're talking both this poverty being both fuel and fuel issue, an issue as well as a, a food issue.
0: I mean, the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, we currently is uh, Hazrat Amriza Masoor Prior to that, it was Hizum Rizatai Hamid, and he wrote a book called Islam's response to contemporary issues. And uh, you can find this book if you want to download it on PDF on uh, www.alislam.org. Excellent book. Um, And actually, generally, if you go to that website, you'll find a lot of information. And he said that within Islam, it establishes minimum rights in the form of a four point charter by defining the basic needs in which a state should procure food, clothing, water and shelter. Uh, and he said governments have both national and international responsibilities these responsibilities on the national level are to fill the basic needs of each member of society by ensuring that all are fed adequately also mentions clothing and water and shelter and says the international duty uh, is to fully participate participate in pooling resources to meet the challenges of wide scale natural disasters and uh, or man-made calamities I mean that, that all alludes to war and climate change, and to help such countries uh, are by themselves incapable of appropriately handling such a crisis. So as such, it is the duty of the state to set the matters right by transferring back to the poorest what truly belongs to them. And that for me is a key point, what truly belongs to them. So we're saying that they have just as much right to be fed as everyone else. And so therefore, it's the states, and this is coming back to what you're saying uh, with Zagat. Uh, you know, it's there to make sure that the wealth is distributed evenly across so that at times of crisis, those who are the poorest are able to afford food.
1: Yeah. And then the counter argument, as we mentioned, uh, and I think what is a, the 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 case of if you don't do those things, if you don't fulfill those rights, then what happens? is You get civil unrest, right? Yeah. And I think the the example that we might go to at the moment in time that we're seeing is, is this example of Sri Lanka which is has uh, one of the things that it started to do was um, it started actually moved away to, initially one of the key things was to move away from fertilizers being used within its country and to be trying to be farming organically and, and that you could describe as an epic disaster to some extent maybe it's the way they did it that was the issue rather than just the fact that they did it and the food production of those that approach reduced in the country and then food production had an impact on what was available. But then on top of that, you had those issues of fuel crisis generated by what we have now. You had lots of long queues around that. You also had power cuts in the country, shortages of your medicine, etc. Lots of issues that affected people's lives across the board and that leads to this whole concept of civil unrest which is less to an ousting of, of the the ruling family in that in that country so it's still in transition it's still having issues it's still creating civil unrest and it's a, it's a probably a model example of what could happen elsewhere and I think that's what we should look to and say well okay if we don't want that to happen in our country what are we going to be doing about this situation yeah. and how are we going to address it and there are sort of actions that we, we could look into one of the one of the f- other factors that looms over us is that we, we talk about this whole idea of the Ukraine and, and Russia crisis, and one of the challenges around the, that issue is, is bigger than we might actually think about, just, just this whole issue of the wheat, um, you know, the, the vast volumes of wheat that both countries produce. One, that the Russia can hold on to its own resources of its own wheat production. In addition to that, it's a provider of... Um, its own energy to the West. It's it's you know Nord Stream pipelines, for example, are the lifeline of, of Germany and other European countries in terms of their heating. So they have a big challenge come next year and, and the winter months coming through from that. So Russia has gas as a supply, and, and gas has an impact on cooking and heating. Right. So you think about gas as a as a main. Point of when we switch on our gas, we cook with it, right? So cooking is impacted by by that that r- lack of that resource coming into Europe. We then also have on top of that this whole idea that Russia is a, is an oil producer as well. It has a, a energy and oil supply which has been um will if its supply has been dampening the oil um, cost of oil, but now we have sanctions on it. Our, our cost of fuel and, and transportation is impacted by that process. In addition to that, Russia has built up a lot of. Reserves in in the place. So, in all of the cases, Russia has got both energy sources, it's got um, financial resources, over 600 billion um, sitting in reserves for for this particular conflict that it can handle. And it's got a gas supply and it's got um, uh, all those other sort of things. So, it can feed its people, it can give energy and heat to its people, it can fuel a war. It has got the reserves to do so. It means it can be there for the sustained period of time, and that sustained period of time means that it's added pressure. It's not going to be a short, potentially war in that respect, or so short conflict. So it means that that the there are impacts on society further down the line. And another element that comes through is that we don't, we haven't considered that Russia is one of the biggest producers of fertilizer globally, speaking. So. All of the food production, a lot of food production around the world depends on these fertilizers because fertilizers, phosphorus inside, phosphorus a key resource or or element to our production of food right around the world. And while it may not impact our nations and and our food supply now in this particular harvest, who's to say they will start to be depleted and the harvest is to come, right? Next year, it may be a big impact as well. So we're not taking those sort of long-term issues into impact and how food will be depleted mm-hmm. um come next year and and, and obviously we'll, there'll be other factors that might come into it as well you have issues where you know the 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 and the turkish Strait, which allows uh, food to be traveled transported out of of that you know we know that ukrainian food and and sunflower oil etc is is reduced as a result of uh, of the impact in his lack of ports to to access and also the the impact of potential mines in those areas make it harder as well to to reduce to remove that sort of food source out of it and, and that's part of an issue which we have as in the global the global village issues is there as well so all of those sort of factors are there that we have to sort of bear in mind that this is a, a bigger issue than just energy and and food cost as well
0: Okay uh, I think we'll take a short break and then we'll come back and we'll kind of we'll, we'll have a look at uh, some of the islamic sort of ways of perhaps dealing with this or some yeah. of the answers that we we've, we've hopefully got Allah, Allah.
2: Al-Quddus is the Holy One, one who is free from all flaws, a blessed being in whom all blessings are amassed. Santification of such a being is to declare him pure and flawless. Al-Quddus is the composite of all purity not merely free from flaws, but also comprising of all excellences, which are known and unknown to human perception. Allah is Kudus and his nearness cannot be availed unless one is pure. There are pure people who extol Allah's holiness much more than the angels do and they also spread it in the world. Among them, of course, the most excellent is the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. The human adaptation and indeed beneficence of Quddus was at its most and best in the being of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He admonished his followers to also seek this beneficence and, through its blessings, remove any bias they may harbor. It is said that when the divine commandment for the forbidden of alcohol was made public, pots full of alcohol were immediately broken, and liquor flowed through the streets of Medina. This revolutionary change was brought about through the Prophet's power of holiness. Famished, stricken with hunger and poverty. It was indeed the Prophet's power of holiness that brought about the blessings in the lives of the companions. The promised Messiah on whom be peace depicts the transformation that the quality of the Prophet's holiness brought about in Arabia. This Prophet was created from the light of Allah, who spread His fragrance to take Allah's beneficence to others, who removed what was false and manifested most luminously in His truth. He guided people who were but dead of soul, made them civilized and took them to the lofty stages of spiritual discernment Their drunken nights were transformed into nights of worship of God and their drunken mornings were transformed into the morning prayer, tasbih and istighfar, seeking forgiveness of Allah. In the current age, we have witnessed the manifestation of the holiness of the promised Messiah on whom be peace. Today. We stand witness to the true reflection of the Kiddus God on earth in the divine system of Khilafat-e-Ahmadiya. Fortunate are those who recognize it and benefit from its spiritual power. Allah, Allah. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day.
0: Welcome back to Pathways to Peace and where today we're looking at uh, food uh, insecurity. Uh, And uh, just to, if you want to join in this conversation, please feel free. You can tweet us uh, on our uh, Twitter on at Voice of Islam UK. If you want to join in this conversation now or even later on. And uh, you can also go to our website, which is uh, www.voiceofislam.co.uk. Um, also, we're going to—I was going to look at the Islamic angle uh, in, uh, but I wanted to talk about inflation because we didn't cover inflation in uh, prior to this. So, how much is this affecting uh, the, the food crisis?
1: Well, certainly, I think once you start seeing fuel um, increase, essentially, or costs start to increase dramatically then it reflects in the overall inflation um, figure. So you, governments yep. in the West obviously look at inflation as a key key factor. And, mm. and you know, the Western world has always been uh, very, very uh, concerned about inflation. It, and in recent years and decades even, we've never had to sort of worry about inflation because it has been relatively controlled by the, the Bank of England. And You know, it goes back to, I guess, to the Second World War in some respects where, you know, it was the hyperinflation scenario that created, um, you know, the Second World War conflict, essentially. Right. So, you know, when when you have a country that uh, money is less becomes less and less valuable and prices continue to go up, then you will have a situation where you will lead to that civil unrest. So the inflation starts to impact because when people start to see prices rise, um, their wages are, are have less and less value, they will take those issues up with um, their employers. And in most cases, some of those employers will be governments. Um, and that will start to lead to strike action and okay. so forth. So it's, it's, it's the first start of the, the point to say, look, we need to address this. Our, you know, our money is not worth much anymore. Mm-hmm. We need to address this. And already you must think about this. we've had this whole concept of austerity apparently you know we we Mm. had austerity for post the uh, banking crisis yeah and that austerity meant that a lot of people in public sectors and and across the globe even not just the UK had to undergo uh, restrictions on their wages right but Mm -hmm. to some extent that was um, managed or acceptable because inflation wasn't as high. It was 1% or 2% here and there. <laughs> it wasn't a significant amount. We're now looking at almost double digit inflation at yeah. the moment in time. So that those those monthly figures of looking at a basket of, of products and saying you know, how much of those prices increased. Right? Sometimes that basket changes from time to time. The government might manipulate it here and there. But if those prices continue to rise, it means that the key essential items that people put into their shopping baskets are becoming more and more expensive and yeah. so, you know you, you'll have seen it when you go to the stores etc and then that idea that thing feeds into people's unrest and it feeds into asking for higher wages higher wages means those costs are then if an employer pays higher wages they then have to add that to the cost of the items that they're producing and that means more price rises so you start to get this circular effect of higher pricing and in the case of governments where people are civil servants or, or dependent on state for pa- payments, there that means essentially higher taxes, which, mm-hmm. again, has an impact on people's ab- ability to purchase, et cetera. So this pressure that exists there is a kind of forerunner to a civil unrest situation, right? So civil unrest will will be something that... Because wages
0: aren't, raised, aren't, aren't going up at the same rate. I mean, they're not going... In fact, they're being... Uh, they're, they're stagnant, aren't they? So, you know, which is which is effectively uh, wage reduction, which is actually, you know, in the bigger scheme of things, with prices rising, wages, you know, I'm not an economics expert, but at the same time with wages being stagnant, people are effectively feeling a reduction in the amount that they're able to take home, I guess. Or, yeah, yeah. And,
1: and more than likely, if there are any rises, they're not going to be in the same level of what inflation is, has been mm. over the recent months and years, right? So, yeah. It, it the impact is that people are still not going to get enough to to make it worthwhile yeah. and that's going to be the biggest that's going to be a big challenge and you know, a big hit on people yeah. it will really depend on how society and s- so copes with that mm-hmm. and how governments uh, enable the situation the governments always tend to seldom look at this whole idea of reducing the the, the cost of living for people right yeah. it's a very it, very few times they look at that they'll manage to try and focus on reducing interest rates. Now, the government also, what was the tool to control inflation? The key tool to control inflation is interest rates. Again, if you start to to use interest rates as a tool, and this, I mean, this conservative government will use this uh, idea and other governments around the world will use interest rates. What that does with interest rates is that you increase the, the cost of borrowing. It means obviously mortgages that people have at the moment in time, which are linked to the base rate, will rise and people's mortgages are getting more expensive. Again, that's another impact. It's almost the same sort of level of impact your mortgage will have on your um, disposable income as the fuel bill. So you've got fuel bill, your mortgages are going up now. You've got taxes that are not changing, and this government has got the highest tax threshold it's had for decades as well. So Mm. that's a huge pressure there. and those interest rates, the whole idea of interest rates is actually to then to encourage people to save or invest yeah. or so forth. Right? So that, that at higher ba- interest rates is going to have an impact as well on people. So well, the way they kind of control it is almost using interest rates to suppress uh, inflation. And just to a large extent, it still doesn't deal with the core issue of, of trying to increase the supply of good energy and, and, and renewable energy, let's say, for example and all the, all the supply of food resources in, in the country, which are the crux of the, the things as well. So th- that's really the, the challenge that the society faces and the government faces at the moment, and that they will try and use a further tool which will be more impactful on people to suppress inflation. And in some cases, they can use this whole idea of printing money, which they tend to do, is called quantitative easing. Mm-hmm. That they've already had that a high use of that with the pandemic. So. Yeah. The you know, current chancellor doesn't want to. The current or the previous chancellor doesn't want to go back yeah. to that process, as well to actually produce more money, and that will have also an inflationary impact. And it's quite arguable that some of the current inflation is a byproduct of the money that was pumped into the economy during the pandemic for various kind of benefits and and various things that we were doing to the you know the furlough schemes that were mm-hmm. there to to support workers was purely driven out of printing money. Mm-hmm. So that also filters through to inflation along the way. So another added pressure to to this whole issue.
0: So coming now to the Islamic um, potentially solution that we have to problem. One of the things that I want to bring up is that with... Now we're talking about food uh, security. We're talking about um, people being provided with food being given food and in islam uh it says that absolute ownership of everything uh belongs to god alone uh and you can find that in uh verse uh second uh, second chapter uh verse 108 and um man is god's vice on earth so we've got responsibility um so there's plenty for people to have in abundance and it's our responsibility to make sure everyone's well fed uh, in a Friday sermon in 2008, the uh, current head of the Amin muslim community, Azim Mizam Surah, Ahmed, he gave a um, talk, he gave a sermon on uh, the divine attribute of Allah Rizq, the provider. So uh, Allah having uh, one of his attributes being the provider. And uh, this comes from uh, it, it the word Rizq, meaning provision, which means, uh, which is uh, g- g- continually granted whether It is worldly order hereafter. And um, the word is also used uh, for a share of something as it is used for food or sustenance. So another meaning of the word rizq is that everything that is beneficial, the word rizq is uh, cited loads of times in the Holy Quran. And it says, uh, there is no creature, this is in uh, the seventh chapter, no, Surah Hud, I can't remember which number that is, but it's verse seven. And it says, there is no creature that moves on the earth, but it's for Allah to provide with sustenance. And he knows it is a place of temporary settlement and permanent abode always recorded in a clear book. has also said that the world needs to think today, and he said this back in 2008 about the current food shortage and inflation, things that you've you know you've spoken mm. about. Uh, and he said if a dire situation could happen, and you know we're seeing a dire situation now and this was you know he said this you know uh, um, almost 14 years ago. He said uh, he said the current state of affairs could result in uh, the death of spirituality in the world. Uh, He said there was a clamor of food shortage and financial crisis in the USA. I I haven't got a reference to that at the time in the USA, but he said the most powerful and rich countries of the world will be affected. Uh, This is despite amazing agricultural development of the last 50 years prior to 2008 when he said that, uh, with crops yielding many times over what they did decades ago. Um, And, and you know, he said this many years ago, and now we're seeing that uh, but he's uh, he said to Muslims Allah has made it clear that it is him who is Rizak who provides spiritual as well as material sustenance and who said Muslims need to be aware of this more than the others can you expand on that so that you know how, does this, how can that be used in the current world in this crisis that we're facing with food security
1: well the, there's always been let's say if you even when we go back to those situations where we remember pre this conflict and this situation where there were scenarios where there were individual countries that faced petulance, famines, mm-hmm. other natural disasters that came along the way. We knew that the world had stockpiles of food or sources of food that they could redirect if they so wished to support those nations, right? Yep. Um, the challenge that's always been there is is redirecting those resources for, for just and humanitarian re- reasons, right? So Allah has provided. The question, ultimately, other than the day, is that for humanity to to direct it according to the needs of the people. So therein there is that aspect of of the the idea of rizq. You know, this whole idea that there are resources there. There is also this ability that resources can be created or found. And for example, right. So you know, we we talked for example, resources are there for us to utilize. Within our existing environment, for example, the ability to to perhaps even grow some somewhat of our own kind of crops, our own sort of food. The idea of self-sustaining. If we are, we only have to step out as human beings to to look at those areas areas to start to impact those those impact, even if it's a small amount, to actually impact by growing something of our own or or seeking resources that we can actually create locally. So all of those sort of things that were commonly Provided by sort of um, environmentalists, that we push this line of of, sort of producing and consuming locally produced goods. Uh, the idea of also not sort of having stuff transported around the global village, those sort of issues there. There are ways for us to actually source those things as well as actually create those things locally at the same time. And the same thing applies for for energy resources as well. It does mean sometimes we need to get those things changed at a government level, but there are things we can do at the local level. But all of those things are there that Allah has provided uh, as resources there. It means also sometimes... humanity still needs to step up and and, um, one, discover them, utilize them and and be grateful for them as well.
0: Is that possible? I mean, His Holiness has covered many times how many of the problems being today, you know, food security as well, food insecurity, has come about as a result of people moving away from belief in the Creator. We're seeing problems as the world moves more towards I don't know if the world is moving more towards atheism, I know it is on the increase and I know, um, you know, and being the Muslim community where, you know, our firm feeling is, uh, and our guidance is taken from uh, his holiness, uh, that as people move away from recognizing the creator, and we mentioned this on a show regarding kind of other issues, um, and knowing, but come back to what it said that it is Allah who provides everything and he is the provider you know are we then falling into a trap of fear you know you know that while there's this feud insecurity going on actually it's God who's going to provide everything and by going back to that belief going back to that uh, idea that it's God who provides everything uh, that we can actually uh, help each other and, and I, but by that I mean um, I'll, go, I'll go back to another Friday sermon that His Holiness gave where he gave an example of uh, a companion uh, by the name of Abdur Rahman bin Auf who was an extremely generous and charitable person, I, th- I think he was he was well off as well. Uh, when an appeal f- was made for money and transportation after a battle, a battle of the book, um, he contributed four thousand dirham. And um, actually, sorry, this is a time. Um, yeah, actually, maybe this is time of uh, the the Caliphate of Osman, and he said that uh, I'd have to check this up. So, but the it said that um, when there was a serious shortage of food in Medina um, uh, Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Alf uh, arrived from Syria carrying food supplies and um, you know so it was like the rich sort of giving out to to the poor so in that and and he did that solely because of his belief you know
1: that's an interesting thing because Mm -hmm. remember I mean those companions are and the helpers during the time of uh, the Prophet Muhammad and, and the caliphate the caliphate Rashti, which is the, the the first four Khalifas yeah, that yeah. followed the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Um you remember those people were quite ingrained into um, Islam and they'd actually it, they've really felt it in their heart, right? Yeah. So the, the whole concept of actually understanding that what they give yeah. Is rewarded, right? Yeah. What they give is rewarded. So, they understood that concept. that No charity goes to waste, right? And they don't, they don't lose by giving, right? And we has we have that, in this, and I think people of faith have that, um, yeah. and they have a belief that actually. There's no need to hoard even wealth yeah. wealth or, or food, right? So yeah. the ability to give, to know that that will always be uh, returned and, and in its own way, the, the yeah. favor of, of, of God will come back on that side. And, and that's an attitude that still needs to prevail for things to work in this, this world as well. Yeah. There will be, I mean, we, we can go back to this conflict in, in Ukraine. Yeah. There will be countries in this coalition that's fighting um, Russia, for example, that will... Uh, will be hoarding its own kind of resources and yeah. not being as committed to to the conflict to to resolve it whatever yeah um and that idea of of hoarding the scenario yeah. will mean that those those there will be less to go around and, and will have a negative effect it will have a negative effect on yeah. getting um collectively a betterment for for humanity
0: yeah and it's so, and and this is the thing why i think uh, earlier on in the conversation we i asked um you know, who's going to be affected most by this is the poorest and you can't see the richest being affected by this uh, which you addressed. Um, but those richest, those rich people, those billionaires that we keep hearing about, you know, they could help in a situation like this, right? Because, you know, if they took the example such as that I've I mentioned, yeah. um, then, you know, they could then, you, they'd, they'd give up what they have, what they don't need because, you know, they've got more than they need, more than enough, you know, and it can help the poorest in societies. And we've seen in that example that I've given, where someone who has faith in God, the money and the wealth that he had didn't matter to him. You know, what mattered to him was his, you know, his relationship with God and recognising that, that uh, um, his creator and being able to give up what wealth he had to help those in, in the in the poorest. If I can just, and I'll come back to you in a second, because there was another, in a peace symposium in 2009, His Holiness, Hazan Rizum uh, mentioned how the Holy Prophet of Islam, uh, peace be upon him, uh, tackled a financial crisis and addressed shortage of food. He said once there was a famine and he ordered each person to bring forth whatever was in their homes, and they duly obliged. Uh, all food was eco distributed the entire po- amongst the entire population, so that no one was left hungri- hungry. Hungry. Uh, this was, you know, this was the equitable treatment that the Holy Founder of Islam. Uh, peace be upon him established uh, in order to discharge the rights of others and remove unrest which you've mentioned as well yeah you know so because if they're hungry there's going to be unrest as you've mentioned and as we've seen so um given this and this all comes from a, a firm belief in god you know you know the the holy prophet uh, peace be upon him you know dealt with it and those people because of their belief because of their faith in god duly obliged
1: yeah i i mean it is the the attitude of the ruling um, ruling parties or ruling government or individuals is really important, and that attitude is a key driver. I mean, we can also talk about as Umar's approach towards you know looking after people when he walked in the streets, uh, at night and he had a, um, a woman who was crying, had children crying, and he stepped in to understand what was going on. And that example of um, the woman sort of saying, This. Caliph Umar hasn't provided. I've got kids, and and she didn't know she was addressing the caliph himself. Yeah, Uh, and then he went off himself to get uh, resources from the stockpile to give to this woman. Made sure the children were fed and were asleep before he left that scenario. And even though he carried it himself uh, along the way, you know, he knew. For example, he had a a servant or an assistant with him who offered to carry. Those grains, and he said, "You can't carry my burden mm. in heaven." So, that attitude of a leader of yeah. Muslims, and, and we we're talking a substantial, lead, you know, number of people, the whole nation of Arabia was was supporting him on this, or were he, were under his control, and, and that attitude of of a leadership, mm. you can understand is how you look after your people, irrespective. Yeah. Of, you take those resources and you feed and you make people uh, comfortable, and then and you grow from that point of view, yeah. but know i think the other side of it is you know also in these scenarios in these times of difficulties you know mother uh, necessity is a mother of invention as well so i think also that comes out of it is that when we look at that scenario to create solutions for this scenario it is, it's allah's rizik and and grace that will come through in this to, to actually help people find their own solutions for this problem
0: let's hope so i mean you know uh in the past, in, in these s- traditions that we've heard about, there were many rich people who gave up what they had uh, for the poorer people. And, you know, let's hope people can find their way back to that. I mean, you know, like I said, these are worrying times, uh, but there is a solution. Let's hope and let's pray that as, you know, people do this, they come back to us own Asif, I want to thank you for this conversation. I think it's been really interesting. And uh, let's just pray that uh, for uh, an improvement in, in the world today. Peace be with you.